are you are you gonna sing? Or, or, or do you want to at least do the beat? I don't. Can we? We do not own the rights to this song. We really don't, and I, and I don't think we imagine for like humming it. <laughs> if there's something strange uh -huh. in the neighborhood, say what? Who are you gonna call? Yo, mama. <laughs> See, I said your mama, just in case the Reitman uh, estate is watching us. But what's up, everybody? Welcome back. 80s in April right here on Back to the Classics and Cinematic Movie Podcast that takes you back to the iconic films of 20 years ago and beyond now, especially with this movie. I'm your guy, Jay Alonzo. With me, of course, is... Danger Neff. David Danger Neff. How are you, sir? I'm good, good, sir. You can always find this here show on Pandora, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts. Uh, I'm missing something, aren't I? You sure are. <laughs> I'm missing a few. When you Google this show, we're on a few things. We're on, we're everywhere. We're on, a, we're on, we're on like at least 15 like unofficial podcast sites. Right. But it's it's good. I, I love the love. Uh, BeatNetworkOnline.com and of course the Beat Network app on Amazon. What's up, B? Not much, man. I mean, uh, pretty easy day here. Um, you know, pretty easy week. Uh, I went to the Knights game. That was cool. You know, um, it was a really unique experience kind of doing a sporting event in a pandemic setting. Like we had like nobody around us. Like and you went you know, to T-Mobile, right? Yeah, I went to T-Mobile. Parking was super easy. Um, so I, could, I can't I can't really complain. Like I went with my sister and uh, the Knights lost, unfortunately, but Man, it was uh, – you, you definitely felt the energy of the crowd um, towards the uh, – Excuse me. But it was coming. I, I couldn't stop it. Mm -hmm. um, you definitely could feel the energy of the crowd uh, when things were kind of looking downtrodden. Uh, because there weren't so many people, there were maybe only like 4,000 people there. Mm. Uh, you could hear the ice, like players skating on the ice and kind of calling out plays and whatnot. And I don't know. It was kind of cool. Um, yeah, because uh, what, what uh, T-Mobile holds what twelve thousand? No, man, no. T-Mobile holds like twenty thousand people. Easy. Well, you're, uh, you're like a foreigner. That's like four kids in the, in the classroom. Yeah, well, I mean, I mean, it was twenty percent, right? So four thousand people. Right. I mean, you've still got the dedicated fan basis, but I ain't gonna lie, it was kind of cool. Like, I didn't even wait long in line to get concessions. Mm -hmm. You know, I was, you know, usually like when you go. And you're like waiting for this period. You're like sitting there for like, I don't know, like 20 minutes in line. I only waited maybe five minutes. Right. It was really nice. Um, so, yeah. Um, glad Vegas is coming back. That's always a good thing. How about you, sir? You doing all right? Indeed, man. Vegas is coming back. Um, I've had a pretty uh, pretty easy week. Um, uh, yesterday was Easter. Happy Easter to our good people out there. Uh, we spent our uh, Easter hanging out with moms. We uh, we watched uh, the uh, versus battle. Ice Brothers versus Earth, Wind, and Fire. The elements. That was a good time. That was a good time. And, and it's, it, it, it was, huh? Who'd you have at the end of it? Yeah, I'm not gonna lie to you, dude. I think I had Isleys. I, I had Isleys. No, no doubt, I had Isleys. But as they're going through the music, I'm like, yo, Earth, Wind, and Fire got some shit that I kind of forgot they even had. No, e EFW definitely has a catalog. Um, I think if I had to choose between the two, I'd definitely go Isleys. Isleys, oh. I feel, was more sampled. 
um, than anything else, yeah. especially yeah, like they're, they're probably the most yeah. the most heavy sampled like band ever. Between the sheets alone, like probably has like five hundred different samples at least. Of, but can you blame it? That's the song. Hey, kid. Oh, no. oh, it's it's amazing. You know? Oh, my God. My personal favorite from them is Footsteps in the Dark. Um, so yes. So it, it's just it's it's a song. It, when I feel like getting sentimental, that's the song I put on, you know, so you know I'm I'm when 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 Footsteps in the Dark, mind you, you know, as you know, we're, we're huge versus fans. So. Um, you know, Versus has become like the new soul train, if you will. So, sure. so um, as they're as they're going, I'm waiting. Like, yo, where's Footsteps in the Dark? Cause like that's the song I want to look at my girl. I want to look at her neck and go, you know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> you know what it is. <laughs> you know what like, it's such a, it's such a smooth record and groove with fair, you. I and, think if there was a lot of guys there. You know, and it was just Anika. They probably all look at Anika and probably say the same thing. It's just like it's a natural emotion. It's not. It's not even like to like diss your girl or anything like that. It's just this natural emotion that you look for the first <laughs> email that's not related to you and just be like. And I was looking at you like, <laughs> "Fuck, you looking at?" No. <laughs> but no, uh, it, 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 it was a good time. And then um, uh, it was also really cool to see my mom really enjoy it. And as you know, uh, the bands are telling their separate stories about these songs. My mom is telling stories about her experiences to certain songs. I'm like, long as you give me no between the sheets stories, I'm cool. You know what I'm saying? I, you know, she kept the real, you know, she got the real chill. Like she, she told a story about um, uh, EWF, um, Love's Holiday, another fantastic record. When that song comes on in the club, like when she walks to the club, she remembers that uh, there was a guy that walked into her. He had a super big ass, like pot belly and shit. And uh, as the song was grooming, she really wants to dance, just not with him. So she found a way to like ghost the dude. And the dude looked around the club for like five minutes on some like, and it was, like, <laughs> it was the funniest shit ever to me. I loved it. But, he had, but my mom said he, he held his stomach and then like looked around. Just, it was hilarious to me. Shout out to your moms for tip for uh, embarrassing that dude. Uh, oh, love pot, pot it. Belly, we'll call him Potbelly Pete. Mom is Queen Curve. Like, you know what I'm saying? Queen Curve. Then landed on my daddy. So, pot yeah. Potbelly Pete. Pot Pete. Wherever you are, Potbelly Pete. Sorry, man. All right. Uh, let's get into some movie news. The only real movie thing that's kind of dropped, I mean, they, they had the Godzilla story saying it broke franchise saying it broke opening records and yeah we're expecting that uh if you haven't checked out godzilla vs kong it's on hbo max at yep. least for the next month shout out to everybody out. that came out for the uh for the watch party that was such yeah. a good time we had a great time at the watch party uh de definitely got in i've seen it twice personally i'm really i've seen it three times now and uh you know congrats to uh, uh to weingard and and uh, his crew um, you guys put on a, a pretty fun spectacle, even if it doesn't make no sense whatsoever. It's a good time, makes. But then again, some of the best movies that we've ever like the best popcorn flicks make no sense okay. at all. But it's a good time, though. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but the big news that kind of dropped was the incredibly creepy trailer of Space Jam Two. Now I know that sounds weird, but Space Jam Two is a family movie. Uh, that that pushes that uh, PG rating because uh, if you paid attention to the trailer, maybe the first time around you're like, all right, this looks all right. 
but it progressively gets worse as you rewatch it. Um, part of the reason why is that for a family movie, what the fuck is a clockwork orange doing in a family movie? I've never sat around to think about watching a clockwork orange. That's one of the movies I kind of refuse to watch, actually. Now, let me ask you this. Now, 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 I mentioned that exact quote prior to us recording. Now, you rewatched it. We both rewatched it before we started recording. Did you notice the clockwork, a clockwork orange after yeah, I told you? Uh, after he told me, I noticed it. I was looking for it. It's so bizarre. Why is it there? I don't know. It makes it makes zero sense to me. Um, let's put it simply. What are your expectations as Space Jam? <laughs> um, I, I'm not going to lie to you, man. Uh, what you just said was my sentiments exactly. I watched it, and I think I was hyped for it just out of just sheer excitement because we actually had a trailer, right? Oh. And, you know... Uh, folks know that the very first episode of this show we covered Space Jam five years ago this year, actually. So, Space Jam growing up was something to me that you know we know it's not a perfect movie, far from it. But as a kid, it's something like, yo, this movie is just it's just it's everything to you because it, just, it kept you quiet while your mom made dinner or talked talk on the phone with her or her, 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 her girlfriends, and yeah, you know, but. So the idea of LeBron James coming back to do, uh, coming to do, uh, I, I guess you would say it's a reboot, not not a direct sequel. Uh, there's excitement that I love LeBron. LeBron's fucking awesome. So I mean, that was the whole reason he came to the Lakers anyway was to, uh, to, do, space to do space and do movies. But <laughs> we all know that's the truth. But to do space, <laughs> look, no, the fact but, that we got a title out of it, I'm not going to really complain. You know, hey, listen, one Laker title, Space Jam two. I mean, that that's the that's the equivalent. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. <laughs> Give and take. Give and take. So when I watched it, when I watched it, I said, "Okay, I'm 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 kind of digging it. Cool." And, and I was like, "I'm I'm all in for it." Rewatching it. And I see, I see a clockwork orange. I see the iron giant. I see fucking Morpheus and Agent Smith. I'm like, wait a minute. Who is this movie for? <laughs> I don't. And that's my problem with it. Like, like, look, I grew up on Looney Tunes. You know, I have my favorites from Looney Tunes. And, and I'm not going to get into the controversy of Pepe Le Pew. But I kind of am also like, like you Pepe have to- Le Pew is a problem. Pepe Le Pew is a problem, right? You know, Clockwork but Orange. then tortured movie, torture movie, Clockwork Orange, and then it eating things like eating children. And this is a child. This is a, a family film, children's movie. But Pepe Le Pew, because he pursued a cat in very aggressively. You know, we can't we can't have that. All right. Whatever. That, that, that's all I got to say on this. But I, but for what I, what I, what I gathered, I, I assume Don Cheadle is your villain, and uh, he kidnaps someone's son and forces that someone to play basketball to get his son back. The first one was such a simple story. Mike went to another world. He played basketball. He came back. I just I don't get like the narrative. It seems like it's all over the place, and it feels more like a commercial for HBO Max or a commercial for Warner Brothers. Look at all the cool shit we got. Outside of, hey, here's Space Jam 2. Check it out. And on that, thinking about that simple premise that the original had, like, like Michael may have been the star human character, but this was a Looney Tunes story. 
Like it was a straight Looney Tunes were like, we're getting replaced by these other creatures and right. we can't have that happen. Right. So we're going to bring in Michael Jordan. And then these other guys are going to play Sean Bradley and uh, fucking uh, Patrick Ewing and Muggsy Bogues for for if you really want me to 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 like grind out that. <laughs> Larry Johnson was in also and of course Sir Charles Barkley you know um, yeah but you know but bro what Wayne Knight brought what Bill Murray brought we'll talk about Bill Murray today what they brought to Space Jam though it's not their thing but they it's, it's very much their thing like Bill Murray That's, makes Space Jam that much more enjoyable it had, you know what heart. It had heart this it had heart you know, this, so this, uh, this, I don't know. I, I have admit the more I talk about it, the more I don't want to see it. That's how bad it is. And I'm going to watch it. And, and I'm telling you, if Space Jam's budget, it, it, it'll get the proper scolding it deserves for sure. We may do a watch party for it. Um, I may have a paper bag o- uh, over my head. Look like Shia <laughs> <laughs> I am no longer a critic. I'm not a critic to begin with. Um, <laughs> All right. Uh, let's get into today's movie. Today's movie. Uh, this is such a joy. Such a joy. Like, I, I think Eddie's in April was created for this movie. I kind of feel like it, yeah. And I'm, I sat there, and, and the movie's over the show. I'm just like, God, this is such a fun, good time. We're taking it back to 1984 with the first, very first, the original Ghostbusters original release date. June 8th of 1984 shares opening weekend with Beach Street, Gremlins, and Top Secret. Let me pause it for a second. Gremlins! <laughs> pause it for a second. Beach Street, Gremlins, and Top Secret. I wish just for one day I was born to where I can go to the movie theater on June 8th, 1984. Because these four movies open the same day. I love Beach Street, and not people know Beach Street. Holy shit! We should totally buy a movie theater and do that. And do that back to uh, back to the classic presents on this day, nineteen eighty four, opening weekend. Oh, right. oh, oh, what an idea! <laughs> Gremlins is classic. Top Secret is classic. <laughs> it's classic. That's a that's a good day at the movies. Uh, production budget thirty million dollars with a box office total of two hundred and ninety-five point two million dollars. Ninety-seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Nominated for two Oscars, including Best Original Song by uh, Ghostbusters by Ray Parker Jr. That iconic theme song and <laughs> visual effects. Dave, it's hard to go into the movie, even though the movie opens with the song. But the song, how iconic! Is Ray Parker Jr.'s theme song to Ghostbusters? It, there's not too many movies I can think of that has that jingle, and that's why I'll call this this song, um, right. where 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 it just it it sticks with you almost immediately. Um, in fact, in fact, if you want to talk about most iconic songs, uh, you could probably put this right there. Was saying this is in the top three, maybe, um, you know, and possibly even number one because what this song, you know, what the song is talking about, you know, where the song is going to go, you know, that the song can only it be puts used, you there, it, it can only be used for this movie, 
It can only be used for this franchise. The, the song doesn't fit anywhere else. It makes no sense anywhere else. Partly because the main chorus is literally fucking Ghostbusters. And that's the chorus. Who are you going to call? And uh, mind you, we're not talking scores. We're talking original songs from iconic movies. Like, this movie has two iconic records. Uh, the, the, this franchise has two iconic records. You have the Ray Parker Jr. Ghostbusters, and then you have the, the Bobby Brown record, which I can't think of what it's called, from Ghostbusters 2. Right. Uh, I mean, you put that up there with Axel F by Nile Rodgers. You put that up there with uh, 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 Danger Zone from Top Gun. Like, you have all these iconic... You put that uh, up there with, with Over the Rainbow from Wizard of Oz. Yes. And, and, and But again, those... Those songs, like Over the Rainbow, like the song Over the Rainbow can just be sung just to be sung. This song, you can't do that. I don't think of Wizard of Oz when I think of Over the Rainbow, even though I know that's exactly where it's from. Yes. When I hear this song, I know exactly where it's from. And uh, it, brings me, it brings me so much joy, you know, just, uh, just, to really think, uh, just to really think about it. I mean... Again, when I'm thinking of iconic songs that can really only go for that movie, the only one that immediately comes to my head is My Heart Will Go On from Titanic. Like, and let's be honest, that does fit this bracket as far as iconic movie original songs, you know, like or anything from any James Bond movie, they just stick to you. Like, of course, yeah. Any, yeah. any, I think of Skyfall and immediately I think of the movie. Oh, Skyfall. Skyfall. Skyfall was so great, too. Uh, oh my god. Um, uh, the Glass the Night record. Um, oh, oh uh, she um, did it. Uh, oh, what is it? I mean, what it's called. Oh, Jesus. For, for, for which movie? It's from uh, from Octopus, isn't it? Um, Octopussy. I think, I think, I think it's from Octopus. Um, which, yeah, by the way, if you can't tell, I love James Bond song, License to Kill. License to Kill, because the song's called License to Kill. Yeah, and it's from the movie License to Kill. Yeah. Even, even, yeah. even Tina Turner's record from Mad Max is, is insane. Absolutely. So, so, you know, kicking off this movie, um, it's pretty simplistic. This, this movie starts off, here's what I love a lot about this movie. You know it's a comedy, but the effects that they use for literally 1984 does a pretty good job. No, you can't say it holds up. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going to say that holds up. I see you've been done fiction hotel a lot. But but what it does make you feel at least is that they were really trying to scare you at at some points in this movie, and it really kind of starts off with this. You get the comedy, scene, yeah, yeah. You you get the scene of this librarian. That just kind of trudges down the stairs, you know, and this, I don't know of too many like basement libraries because <laughs> that's really what I'm going to call this. I like, feel like that's, a, that's, like, that's like a New York thing for some reason. Like there's, there's no basement libraries in LA. There's no basements in LA. <laughs> there's no basements here in Vegas either. No. I've been to Vegas libraries. I've been to, and I've seen two-story libraries. UNLV's library is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been to Seattle's libraries, you know, and that's multi-story and super weird. You know, I've been to the New York public library. Uh, you know, it just, it was something weird with this like downstairs library thing that, that just kind of kicked in. And as this old woman is kind of going through the effects 
they are so effective. She goes through down like this row of books and you start seeing the, the books kind of pass behind her. No problem. Just kind of flipping back and forth. And it's like, it's like you as the audience, you're like, oh shit. Like, like, so, so you guys are going like full on with this. And as she uh, kind of goes down, you get the old school library cards that it used to be. Nowadays, kids don't kids don't know library cards. Back in the day, if you wanted to get a book, you'd have to have a library card and you'd have to put it in the back of a book and make sure that it was stamped on the day. Because otherwise, you knew the day that it expired, and that's when you had to return it. Nowadays, kids kids are kids are lazy. They get the computer, you know. No, which is like I'm I'm kind of I'm, I'm kind of I'm kind of hating on the millennials because like. You don't you don't understand the joy of having a fucking library card. Yeah, yeah. So, so you know, as she's walking down these things, the uh, these things, you know, you have these this this row of library cards start going, and all of them just start shooting up as if they were as if they were uh, flung out from like a deck of cards, right? You know, mm -hmm. and multiple just flying all over the place, and as she kind of starts running down. Running down in, uh, in a bunch of different paths, she finally sees what appears to be an, an apparition in her eyes and immediately cuts to Peter Vinkman. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was just the coolest shit to me. It was just so cool because this movie, and for me, I feel like this review should really kind of be based on the, the overall joy like what how this movie earned 97 percent and still holds 97 percent you still, know it still holds up 30 this plus movie. years later and i bro i'm just I'm, like it's, it's 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 something about the vibe <laughs> of the movie and you know especially when you learn more about the production behind it it's okay. it's super super 80s it's 80s you know you thought back to future was 80s no no, eighties. This, this, you know, smack dab in the middle of the eighties, like eighties in New York. Oh wow, that's that's eighties. But you're I mean, New York as a dangerous place at that point, a place that you would hate to go to. Yeah, like, nah, I'm, I'm good. Like, like where, are we going, where are we going on vacation? New York? Nah, I'd rather go to Philly. Like <laughs> Manhattan? <laughs> Manhattan? You mean? Oh, no, we're going to like the boroughs. I'm talking Buffalo. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good with Jersey. It's cool. I'll do Jersey. All right. But it, it was it was just, it, this movie like and then with with Aykroyd and Bill Murray, you can literally feel the SNL superstardom bleeding off the screen. You know, like you know at that time they were the guys. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And then you know it just it, 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 we'll keep going after this. Uh, to know that Eddie Murphy was supposed to be in the in the Ghostbusters, like, what would what, what would have been if Eddie Murphy was here? Would Bill Murray still be like the star, or will they work together good? Like it's the things that make you wonder, that type of shit. I don't know. That that's that's a difficult question. Um, I can't I can't even like picture that. So immediately cuts to Peter Vinkman. Played by Bill Murray and Bill and and I gotta admit this still this still cracks me up. He's trying to basically determine ESP and what ESP essentially is. It, it's the uh, it's the idea that you're able to read somebody's mind to gain an uh, gain an advantage. 
and um, it's it, it's always kind of had it's kind of always had like like little extra jokes, especially with like especially like the one that immediately comes to mind is Mean Girls when the girl's mm. like, "Oh, I have ESP, but I have it for my boobs," and she like squeezes her tits to determine if it's actually raining when it's raining on her. You know, and she's able to predict the weather that way. Right. Super stupid. But but he's trying to determine this ESP thing. And the whole time, uh, the guy in the group is like, he's getting every single question wrong. You know, he actually got one of them right. And Vinkman didn't even care. He just shocks him real quick. Meanwhile, <laughs> the girl who's getting none of these right is, you know, because Vinkman's trying to, you know, he's trying to basically make his move, you know, in this case but what kills me about it is like is like he's like yo that's like my sixth wrong that i got he goes he goes i know it's only 75 more to go i'm like no <laughs> you're shocking this guy 80 times <laughs> like like but that's perfect that's perfect comedy for for what bill murray is bill murray is an asshole in almost every single movie he's ever read the only time that he's really not an asshole is when you find him his most lovable. Like, even in Space Jam, he's a bit of an asshole in Space Jam. Bill Murray is a professional asshole. But, he's, but he does he's it good so well. It. He, he's excellent at it. <laughs> so as he begins to kind of start flirting, we get uh, uh, we get the introduction of Dan Aykroyd, <clears throat> who comes bursting in through, uh, through the door. Ray stands. And Ray is... Okay, Ray is a nerd. Ray would be the perfect example of what a nerd is today. Like, he probably has a lot of knowledge on this stuff, but he's not so dubious to the world around him, you know, uh, and to, to the world around him and what's going on. But he, of course, has a lot of knowledge into everything, uh, into everything that they're studying in, and they believe that they finally have made the breakthrough to actually catch an apparition in the process. So... They immediately go uh, to this library where we also get the introduction uh, and it's, it's at the New York Public Library where we get the introduction to Egon, played by the legendary Harold Ramis, may he rest in peace. Rest in peace um, to the legendary Harold Ramis. One of Bill Murray's closest friends. Uh, they've worked on a few projects together, obviously, but Ramis comes in and if Ray is a nerd then Egon is a fucking dweeb because this guy has like Ramus plays him so straight. And there were supposed, there was supposed to be a storyline later on with uh, Janine, um, Janine. Yeah. Janine and, uh, and, and Egon. Um, that was supposed to be, uh, that was supposed to be like a love connection that kind of happens. Obviously that doesn't happen uh, in the, in the script. And I actually kind of like that. It didn't. Because Egon plays it so straight, he doesn't even recognize that like another girl is severely like attracted to him. You know, he's just he so was like blatantly obvious. It's like it's so blatant. Like, just oh my god, I'll talk about it when it comes up. But she makes it blatantly obvious. Oh man, the thirst was real. <laughs> Anyways, as they kind of as they kind of go and they're using these equipment, you see like certain goos that's called ectoplasm which is just basically like residue from, from paranormal activity, I, I assume. Um, and that's collected. And then like, you know, Bill, who's being an asshole, is kind of wiping out on Egon and whatnot. And we get this image of 
this public librarian, you know, who is uh, uh, who's a ghost and is kind of sorting through everything. So the first idea is to have Vinkman talk to talk to her. And Vinkman tries, but all she does is shh, you know, shushes him away. Perfectly makes sense. Ray comes up with the brilliant idea to try to capture her. And by capturing her, I mean trying to tackle this apparition. And as they go to approach to do so, she transforms into this ungodly looking, like disgusting, like monster thing and scares the shit out of them. And I got to be honest, if you're a kid in 1984, that probably scares the shit out of you too. Like, like it was- If you're a kid in 1984, if, if, if you're a kid anywhere between 84, early 90s, even early 2000s, you've watched this movie for the first time. There are images in this movie that will, have, that will like legit make you like, ooh, ooh, got me, got me on that one. So, like the dogs is like, oh yeah, no, no. When we when we get to the dogs, they they they're great. Um, so in the process, a university dean at Columbia University kicks them out, you know, and uh, so they're 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 kicked out, and they decide to come up with this idea to because now they can officially say that they've seen a ghost and can do something about this. Uh, they're going to create equipment and label themselves as Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. And here, here's what cracks me up. Ray is so bad with human connection that when Egon, who catches on to like the scam that Murray's trying to run to, to basically like lower the price on a very expensive building, you know, and Ray is just so oblivious to it. I'm like, I'm like, yo, like, how do you not know anything? Like, of course you haggle down the price. Of course you try to you try to lower everything. Of course you try to do this. Like he winds up buying like he gets this like expensive former firehouse. I'm assuming because mm-hmm. it has the pole, and then he buys a hearse for forty eight hundred bucks, which I which in nineteen eighty four is like a fifteen thousand dollar car. It's like a twenty thousand dollar purchase. This thing's like it needs new brakes, it needs new exp- suspensions, it needs new, it needs new this, it needs new that, it needs this. The the lining needs to be fixed. It needs this. I'm like, I'm like, yo. So you're just willy nilly with your money like this? <laughs> well, I, I love that because um, uh, I, I, as you go through the montage of them, like really getting good at what they do, even the the the, the, the transporting of the, the abandoned firehouse. Now this. The, the the Ghostbusters uh, 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 lair, if you will, but I, I thought it was really cool because uh, you get to the point to where they, they go through all, they go through all the, uh, the, the the montage. But he uh, meets Sigourney Weaver, which is Sigourney looks great in this movie, by the way. Oh, uh, first of all, like she she deserved like there's a whole huge thing I had for Sigourney Weaver, and back then like. Like it, it's it's tough to consider it any sexier than she was in this movie, and oh, I and, and I don't want to use that word to to take away anything from there, but they were clearly aiming that for her. Oh and, yeah, oh man, Sex was she definitely was, the vibe to go. Whew, she was gorgeous. Like everything yeah. about her was gorgeous in this. But um, I, I love that that that, and, the, and also Bill Murray is us. Bill Murray will, will be the kind of guy. Well, correction, Bill Murray is who we want to be. Like yeah. the guy speaks from his heart. He does not hold his tongue for shit. Nope. And he's an asshole. So when they have that connection and all that, he wants to take her out. He And he asks, I love this part. I mean, I cracked up watching it. He says, uh, 
I'm going to take some of the uh, some of the petty cash, check out the day so we can, you know, we don't we don't lose our business. He goes, this luxurious, this luxurious man that we're having, that's what's the petty cash. Don't chew, <laughs> don't chew so fast. <laughs> Don't, don't chew so fast. Like, yeah, like don't chew enjoy, so fast. Enjoy your enjoy last meal you got going on. Uh, that's how you know we broke. So they eventually make their way. Um, and the whole reason why Sigourney Weaver is even introduced in the first place is as she kind of gets home after being annoyed by her neighbor uh, from across the hall, played by Rick Moranis. Stop. Hold on. You, we have to say the incomparable comic genius Rick Moranis who can turn any situation into an awkward situation. Here's what I love so much about Moranis' character. He's an accountant and immediately when I see him and I'm like, wait, I'm an accountant. You mean that's how people look at me? <laughs> I'm like, exactly how people look at me. <laughs> it's like, but the, the, the beautiful <laughs> thing about the Louie character is this, huh? Here's the other thing I love about Moranis. Moranis doesn't throw a party. Moranis doesn't throw a party for his friends about him being a CPA for three years. Or no, not even a CPA, just a regular ass accountant. He he brings in his fucking clients. I'm like, oh my God, that is brilliant. Because I'm sitting there and I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, he could I'm sitting there as an accountant. I'm like, Holy shit, he could expense this out. And then he says the line. He was like, he was like, because you guys are my clients, I'm gonna expense this out as promo expense, which means he's gonna bill his clients to be you're paying for this party. <laughs> to be at this party. So, Lame ass party. When I tell you I, I I struggle with my that guy, even as we do the show right now, <laughs> I struggle with my that guy because I like Rick Moran is. It's like, ooh, I, I don't know, man. Because my iconic scene involves Rip Morales, and we'll get to it too, but but Dave, when the scene happens, when I tell you, I had to pause the movie from laughing so fucking hard. It's yeah. so funny, bro. So, so we get um, so we get the introductions of Gordy Weaver, and the whole reason why she even called the Ghostbusters in the first place is because she had witnessed some paranormal activity first with hatching eggs, like eggs that would hatch and like the yolk is just kind of sitting there. And then her fridge going, fr uh, going insane and showing what looks to be a gateway to a pyramid of some sort with this really freaky looking dog. I mean, this dog, this dog is the, is the exact idea of what I would picture a hellhound looks like. Right. It's short, it's stubby, it's got red eyes It's got like these pointy out the side ears And a big mouth That's exactly what I would picture it, picture it to be So Once Vinkman kind of makes contact They get another case You know, and, and she's not she's not buying into any of his bullshit um, They go right into a, a case Because Vinkman doesn't Vinkman doesn't know anything about being a Ghostbuster He just I don't know what his degree is oh wait it's it's psychology and parapsychology but yeah. he doesn't believe in any of this shit he's in it for the fame oh he's in it for something right um which is what always cracks me up because i always think of the movie stripes afterwards and i'm like mm -hmm. stripes is just the alternate version of this movie when vinkman finally crashes out and he decides to join the military so 
in the process, uh, they make contact with the with the Cyberborn, where we get to uh, we're we're introduced to the most famous ghost in all of Ghostbusters, our guy Slimer. Slimer, um, and they don't even they 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 don't even name him Slimer. That's just a category that they had for these yeah. ghosts. But you get this introduction to Slimer, and Slimer's as gross as it, as it is. He's like he's like always consuming food. Decides to charge Ray at one point, and decides to charge Ray, and Ray ducks it out of the way. Decides to charge Vinkman, and Vinkman is completely slimed over. They they spend their time and they use these what's called nuclear accelerators for the for these power packs that they have, um, with this idea of basically with this idea of basically trying to capture Slimer, and they do so. Um, they just destroy, I love this scene. They fucking destroy this ballroom, and. Oh my god! I right. love this scene. What is ballroom? Oh god, I love this scene because you're right. They destroy this ballroom. They they, <laughs> they they destroy the hotel, right? But once they catch him, the uh, I, I said the hotel manager is already being a dick, right? But the, the audacity for you to tell me I'm not paying for that, and Bill Murray once again, oh. For us, he goes, oh, that's all good. We put it back. It's all good. Oh, hold on. I got you. I got you. I got you. Bruh. Hilarious. And and the thing was, (laughs) Dan Aykroyd was so on time with the response. Once Bill Murray said, oh, don't worry about it. We'll just put it back. Yeah, let's put it back. (laughs) Loved it. Loved it. When you look at what this ballroom looks like afterwards, like the chandelier is falling down, which is already bad. But because Slimer got behind the bar, they shoot the bar and essentially put like, a million holes in this bar and just kind of setting everything on fire in the process. And it's insane. But lo and behold, they're the first people ever to capture an actual ghost and their lines go ballistic. Like everybody's just like, Holy shit. Like we actually have a way to solve this, which makes me really curious how haunted New York really is now because they're getting call after call after call and they charge like five thousand dollars to the first per call per call so they were really like pulling in some money some serious you know um they were that that was kicking in so much so that they needed to hire a fourth person just so people can sleep and they decide <laughs> and they decide to hire a guy who was literally just kind of right off the street they were just like the guy was like, "Yeah, I, I, I kind of saw you guys on TV, and I'm kind of interested." The capable Ernie Hudson uh, uh, playing Winston Zeddemore, and Hudson's like, you could tell Hudson was just looking for a job. Like, like I respect it. I respect it. If you told me I had to put on a jetpack and fly around New York and just dump shit, yeah, <laughs> I, but it's a pain. Cool, I'll do it. No, no, it's paid. You're you're paying for this. Just uh, I need you to sign this. They're making you sign like the Turbo Man waiver, you know, like. like <laughs> <laughs> but I'm telling you, if, there, if there's ever a time to pull your black card, Winston pulls that black card in spades. I'm talking about. Oh, and we'll get to it as well. But but Winston, like, yeah, yeah, black man, feel that way when this weird shit like is going on around you. But I I wanted to touch on this uh, going on to the next part because I fucking hate this character. So much, and I respect the actor. I'm talking about Walter Peck, the oh, Environmental guy. Protection Agency. Listen, William Atherton as an actor is fantastic. Uh, it, it's a live star. I, I don't know. 
Oh, wait, yeah. No, he is. He is. He's like, okay. So, but I know him best from this movie and, and Die Hard. <laughs> <laughs> and Die Hard. Because he's the fucking reporter. And I. Well, okay. Well, then three movies. I know this movie, Die Hard, and Biodome. That's how I know oh, him. Oh, yeah. Biodome. Yeah. yeah we, don't, we don't talk about Biodome. So, uh, when he shows up with that smug look on his face, like, he has sort of yeah. smug look to him, right? But. Uh, he, he shows up, asks to invite the equipment, and then you know, Bill Murray just gives him the captain asshole response, like never before. And 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 I'm I'm eating it up, I'm eating it all up, you know. And so uh, Egon warns him that the uh, containment unit is nearing capacity, and that uh, supernatural activity is inexplicably increasing significantly, right? Um, but you can you can feel at that time he's out to do some bullshit, you know. And oh, absolutely. And he represents a a, a a state of mind that people have to where I don't believe I don't believe it unless I see it. And even when I see it, I still don't believe it. Right. And of course he, he eats his words later on. But we're at, we're at, we're at, we're Vincent goes to meet Dana and Zul <clears throat> yeah. has showed up. And so so Vinkman decides to uh Vinkman kind of runs into runs into uh, uh Dana, you know, and they decide to kind of decide to kind of have dinner. And part of the reason why is because they they have a general idea of what the spirit was that was trying to, you know, something was trying to do something. And you find out that the name Zul is used. And Zul is apparently the protector of Gozer. Uh, Gozer, the Gozerian. Gozer, the Who is supposed to basically bring on the next apocalypse, according to Sumerian uh, uh, studies. But again, Vinkman doesn't really care. He just wants to get into her pants, which is really what's hilarious about this because what happens later that day is Zul possesses, <laughs> possesses Dana. And what's hilarious about this is what really cracks me up. Like, because the Rick Moranis party is going on, right? That he's billing all his clients. This is my, one of my favorite parts. Vinkman comes up to the door. And like gives a gives a little knock, and here comes Sigourney Weaver, and she is dressed in like she's dressed in, in this orange outfit with a high slit that you could basically see like basically where the underwear were, would would start if it was a thong, so you know it's probably something like that. And it's gorgeous, it's sexy, it's you know. And keep in mind, Vickman's been trying to like sleep with her, so. She's like, are you the gatekeeper? And thinking that this might be like some kind of foreplay thing, you know, some kind of like role play thing. He was like, no, I, no, I'm not. And she just like shuts the Close door. door. <laughs> All right. That was great. Like, like, I'm like, I'm like, yo, like, like that's accurate for role play. Like, like that will happen to you if you don't role play back. All right, cool. <laughs> so of course he knocks. He's like, he's like, I'm not the gatekeeper. I'm the gatekeeper's friend. Like, like, uh, uh, like he's supposed to be here, or the keymaster. I'm the keymaster's friend. He's supposed to be here around her, and she is practically all over him. Yeah. Right, like kind of saying whatever, you know, saying saying that she is the gatekeeper to Zul. But she's waiting for the key master. Master, she wants him to be inside him. And Vinkman noticed something is wrong, like with the behavior, because she is not like that, like whatsoever. Right. At one point, is 
levitating five feet or four feet above her bed, you know, and he realizes, oh, you're you're kind of possessed there, huh? Like, uh, <laughs> all right, just stay here. Like, like, please just stay here. Meanwhile, the other dog <laughs> decides to listen. Where, where did he come from? Listen, like, the other dog shows bed? up. It, it's, I don't even care about the other dog. But I tell you, Lewis' response to this dog bursting through his apartment, fucking up his party. He, <laughs> the man leaves his own party. Leaves his own house. He runs all. He, he takes a. He, he takes the elevator down and he crosses a, a, across. You know, and they're like, and, and like everybody's making fun of him. They're like, he says there's a bear. There's a bear in his apartment. Like old Lewis, you know. You know, as he hops over to Central Park West. Who brought the dog? <laughs> Listen, brought the dog? But the line that he says when he goes outside to the, to the street, he leaves the building, goes to the street, and he goes, uh, I got to call HOA or some shit. There's no dogs allowed on the premises. Oh, no, no, no. I got to call the super because there's no dogs. <laughs> <I gotta call laughs> the the super is going to be pissed because there's supposed to be no dogs on premises. <laughs> Even the complete insanity. Even the complete insanity. You still talking taxes? Oh shit! You still talking accounting? Oh god! I can't tell you. I can't tell you how often some bullshit like that happens with accounting. And then, in the most New York typical fashion, he tries to get the the uh, the attention of the restaurant in Central Park. He tries to get their attention. And really, it's not even a re- it's not even a restaurant. It's it's actually where they do like garden parties at. He's yeah. trying to get the attention of this place. You know, no. Everybody hears him, but then they, they go assume, do do. They just assume that's normal New York behavior, so they just go back to what they're doing. Mind you, they turn like three times to him, three times, and still do nothing for him. They look like this. And we're right back doing what we're doing. I'm like, that's that's New York shit. And, and it goes back to that saying in movies like this, like, bro, New York has seen it all. There's nothing you can do that can remotely freak me out. I'm in fucking New York. I've seen it all. Yeah. And so, <laughs> so of course, uh, uh, Louis Tolley then becomes Vince Clortho, the key master. And if, 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 <laughs> If Zul is the whore, Venz is the the nerd. No, he's he's the nerd, dude. Like like everything he was saying was just kind of weird. He like approaches a horse, you know, and he's just like, "I'll free you from your slave captors." No, like, like the fuck is this shit? Like, this <laughs> makes no sense whatsoever. But um, eventually, they find a way to 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 meet up, um, and the way that they do so is. He's eventually brought in from the cops back to the Ghostbusters, and the Ghostbusters kind of, kind of is like, yeah, no, he sounds like he, he probably belongs to one of us, and so they go to kind of like start discussing stuff, and this is where you get Janine basically throwing herself at Egon. That's I mean, real. I mean, mind you, Janine already knows so off top. Janine already knows off top that he's possessed or something wrong with him. Yeah, she then says. I don't like how he, I don't like how this guy is, is looking, uh, Egon. I'm scared. Face on his man's chest. I'm like, <laughs> the, 
the city's in peril right now. You were about getting your – oh, okay, whatever. Moving on. So, so of course, meanwhile, because uh, Ray and uh, Ray and Ernie are out on the call, Vinkman finds his way back, and eventually the EPA guy comes buzzing in, you know, with the cops, you know, saying, saying we're going to shut this thing down. You know, we're, we're, we're shutting down the storage thing they have for this. We don't know what kind of uh, EPA violations you could be there. That's three federal charges right there. And, I'm, and, and uh, they're like, don't do it. Like, don't do it. It's going to be a really bad thing. And it went bad. It went really bad. Really quickly as well. Very quickly. Uh, everybody escapes out of the Ghostbusters facility. Uh, an explosion happens at the top where it just seems like spirits are kind of flying out. It's a really, really cool uh, uh, scene because it kind of cuts away to like, it cuts away to uh, to like a market and a ghost is kind of chasing people. And mm-hmm. then this other guy gets a taxi and the taxi driver is clearly dead. Mm-hmm. You know? um, uh and they eventually get pulled in as they go to jail and realize that the structure that Dana's apartment is on really was built by this other guy who built a cult to Gozer, you know, and apparently this is where everything is supposed to go down. Which is, uh, which is, I don't know if you noticed or not, but uh, the guy that owns the building, I forgot what, what the name was. Was it Joe? No, that's wrong. But anyway, the guy that owns the building is going to be the centerpiece for the Ghostbusters Afterlife that's coming out this year. Yeah. Which ties the first movie and the second movie to the new one. I'm like, yes, let's get that going. Also, that jail scene is genius to me. It's so simple. If Bill Murray, like, are y'all getting all this? Because at one point, everybody in jail is like, everybody in the jail. Is like, like, Those motherfuckers, get out of here. But, but part of the reason why they're all over there is because they got the blueprints over there and you don't know if there's a thief <laughs> in that same jail cell that's taking their peak, which is why I cracked up so hard. Like, like, of course, they're going to have this conversation here. They have no social understanding of the other people that's in that jail cell. So, not not, not to mention that uh, Winston kept it real, real. Like, yeah, I, I, I just work with these guys. I wasn't even there when that shit happened. Why, why am I here? <laughs> and he told them, like, listen, like, man, no, I got to get my own lawyer. <laughs> I need my own lawyer. I'm also a black man in New York City. <laughs> so I felt that. So, yeah, no, I, I get it. So the mayor pulls him <laughs> no, <I> out. <laughs> the mayor pulls him out, and uh, they kind of have like this long discussion. And what cracked me up was, of course, Peck is being an asshole, and Minkman is kind of is kind of doing whatever. Antagonizing, um, and, and they and they and they, uh, they they kind of paint the scene of how bad this is going to be, you know, with like fire, brimstone, you know, meteors coming out of the sky, dogs and cats, dogs and cats living with each living other, living together, it's insanity, know, chaos. total insanity and chaos, you know. And then Ray hits him with that line that like they're like, you let us do that, do this, and save us, and save New York you'll be saving millions of registered voters. And I was like, ah, they even knew back in 1984 the right, the right numbers to kind of, uh, the right digits to kind of push there. So oh, cool. yeah, the political agenda always moving back. Always. <laughs> which, which they get released and they go to the building. And here's what, to be honest, this, this, this thing kind of cracks me up because it's a little too long. They're getting cheered on by the crowd, Right. 
I mean, they're getting sheared on. By I'm so team. glad you brought this up because I promise you, this is my cut that out. This this scene, they're they're getting. When I say getting cheered on, like this is like this is literally like soldiers returning from Iraq getting cheered. Not leaving to go. They, come, like, they just came they're, back. They're coming back. They're you know, yay, yay, you know, like clapping, so happy. And the first rumble you feel underneath, as of course the keymaster and the gatekeeper have now met up, and uh, you know they're true. Getting- but but when they pull up and it's yeah yeah, there's a song that plays in the background that's real like go get them music, right? <laughs> so when the ground rumbles up and they fall in it, of yeah, course no, they fall in an earthquake. I'm they like fall in the ground, you're dead, you're dead. Oh, it gets better because obviously they don't die. They come out. They, oh, oh, there they go right there. The same song keeps back up again. It keeps the yeah. I'm like <laughs> it's so eighties. It's so wait, wait, 80s. what? Oh my god! Cut that off. They decide to climb. Right now. I'm cut that up. <laughs> they decide to climb twenty sets of stairs, exhaustingly getting up to Dana's apartment. As they get in, they were like, "Hey, where did these set of stairs go up to?" As they get up there, they see that shit's kind of gone weird because suddenly Dana turns, Dana and Lewis both turn into these dogs. Mm-hmm. And then a set of doors open up and they hop in there. And out stands an actress who I guess has one line in this, but I honestly could not tell you, like, like the actress' name is, is Slavica Jovan but it's voiced by Patty Edwards. And she almost looks like, she almost looks like David Bowie. All right. With red eyes, like, like I am Gozer, you know, and doing like one of those weird lines. And so, and, and as they're kind of, you know, like talking, uh, talking with her, you know, and trying to like, like make shit out. She's absent with lightning. Of course she's absent with lightning. And, one of the lines that they said earlier in the film is that Gozer is the destroyer and will take whatever form possible to become that destroyer. And this is where this movie gets brilliant. Like this movie was already really good. This next scene and the most famous scene in this movie really like turns it up. They chose it. I didn't choose. I didn't choose. Did you choose? Did you choose? And they stopped. I didn't choose. And Ray is just sitting there. He's like, he's like, I try to think of, I try to think of something that would be harmless, something, something that I knew as a child could never hurt me, and I didn't think anything of it. And that's when we start hearing the crash coming through New York. The Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. It's the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, and this is a fifty-foot marshmallow man, like. Like it looks like the Michelin tire guy, but it's the marshmallow man, you know. And it cracks me up because like Vinkman, like after their like first round with them, and we'll get into the round after their first round with them. He's like, he's like, you know, he's a sailor. He just got into New York. Let's get him late. Let's get him late. He'll understand. Yo, listen. When you see the state pub marshmallow man, and it could be just me, right? But I swore when I saw that I wanted some marshmallows and I wanted them bad. Yeah, 
Especially hey, my mom is a, was, was a marshmallow eater. eater. Huh? It's because you saw them advertise earlier in the film, you know? And I swore, I thought they were, they were a real thing. I'm like, no, that's not real. I can't be. Because the, the marshmallow man is a, is, a, is, a, is a blend between the Michelin man and the Pillsbury Doughboy. Yeah, basically, it's a mixture. You know? It's, it's cute, but it's also terrifying. As they <laughs> begin to kind of shoot it, like his skin starts catching on fire. You know, mm-hmm. and everything, but it's not killing him. So you decide to say the one thing that would make the most sense. And that is, we have to cross the streams. We have to cross the streams. And it was the one thing they said that wouldn't, that shouldn't happen. Because if we cross the streams, the person, the people crossing the streams, your particles could reverse and you would instantly die. So they decide to shoot it at the temple where Gozer's at. And it's very, very momentarily, but it was enough power to blow it up. Blowing up the marshmallow, man. Marshmallow goo is everywhere. All over the city. All over the city. Imagine what that cleanup price was going to be like. Oh, God, it would be awful. Like, like (laughs) Walter Peck gets completely, like, jizzed on by this this marshmallow, man. I mean, it's a full bukkake scene for him. It was disgusting. Like, arrest those men. Arrest those men. So, and so, and that, you know, as, as the scene kind of clears out, they see the carcasses of the two dogs and say, Vinkman, sorry, man, sorry. And, and luckily a little rumbling happens and Dana and Lewis both pop out of their dogs being rescued uh, completely. Oh, hi, you know, and uh, uh, this, the movie wraps itself up almost immediately after that scene, they go back downstairs, but apparently all these New Yorkers have been waiting to cheer them on. Like all night, which is not only that, but while this whole thing is going on, they had time to make merchandise, go get shirts done. Oh, yeah. uh, Teacups, mugs, because by the time they come out and all those cities outside again, uh, some of which aren't even really covered in marshmallow goo. Yo, come get your Ghostbusters t shirt, two for a dollar. Like, like they're really out there, like, pumping their shit, right? (laughs) So I I thought I was just, yeah. So, so, and that's it. That's Ghostbusters. That's Ghostbusters. Um, Wow, I can honestly watch this movie all the time. It's good. It's one of those movies that that really, really does a good job of holding itself up. Um, there's a lot to like, a lot, lot, lot to love with this. They had the animated series that was on Netflix for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, still holds up. Um, merchandising was so huge for uh, uh, for this because you got because you got the the Ghostbusters mobile basically. That, that they had the, the her sets now turn into this. And I swear to God, the horn that they make, it's the same horn sound that I hear from them. Mm-hmm. You know, whenever you like drop something. So a lot to love here. All right, let's let's get into some uh takeaways, wrap this thing up. Just get that guy work. I'm gonna give it to Vinkman. Um there is a reason why you look for these four and you don't know if you can ever fully replace them, but Vinkman at the heart of this is exactly how everybody else would be as a millennial in this movie. He's an asshole. He doesn't know anything that's going on, but at the same time, he's kind of sort of the star. Um, I don't want to say he, I don't think he's the funniest character, but he's definitely, he's definitely the most memorable character from, uh, from this movie. Yeah, he, he he really could could take control of, of the scene. So you, like he 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 owns the scene for sure. 
Right. Uh, that's your award. Uh, I'm going to give it to Sigourney. Um, first of all, Sigourney Weaver is the queen of sci-fi and has been for a very long time now. And there was a problem that a, a nostalgia critic, Doug Walker, uh, pointed out in the second one. They said, yeah, it's cool that they went the Moranis route, but they really missed an opportunity to make Sigourney Weaver a Ghostbuster in this. Like, like mm. and it would have made so much sense. This movie basically was begging merchandise. It was throwing merchandise everywhere. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and it, of course it's made fun of because of that, but it was very easy to get uh, to get Ghostbusters merchandise back in the day. And uh, <clears throat> for, but going back to Sigourney, she's excellent. Like she's, she's humorous in her own way, even though she's a little dry. Um, she is uh, adorably cute. You could really feel like she kind of has her shit together a lot. Mm. And uh, there's, there's just a lot really. <coughs> Um, so I'll give it to Sigourney. That full award. Walter Pack, easily. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> like, you're an overzealous EPA agent. You're nothing more than what, like, um, what, what PETA is to me now. Like, you're so oh, he, he's PETA. He, he's PETA. He, he's big PETA. PETA now. He is PETA. Um, so, yeah, Walter. Cut that out. I'm going to, I'm going to go with you. Um, the cheering section part of this movie like this movie is under two hours not by much but it is under two hours and you still, shy of five minutes yeah you still felt like you probably could have cut maybe three minutes uh from this because there's a little bit too much cheering like like hey i'm glad they're popular but you can't tell me that at the end of this film if you showed the cheering scene you know as opposed to showing this as they go up there that wouldn't have had the same impact that this had. Yeah, they cheer, they fight, and then they cheer again. Right. So, no. I, that's going to be my uh, my cut that out. Does it hold up? Yes, absolutely. This movie is almost 40 years old, um, which is depressing to say out loud. But to, to be honest, like, it's, it's one of those movies that you could show. It, it would do really, really well with kids. But even nowadays, like, if you wanted – if you wanted that good nostalgia hit, it's it's a it's a perfectly good movie to go after. And iconic scene. I gotta go with the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man because it was so. Sh this movie had already kind of exceeded expectations, right? Like you didn't really know what was go going to happen. You had two SNL guys coming in to kind of be the main star. Uh, you knew Harold Ramis from the movie Stripes, and you knew that. Bill was probably closer to his end at SNL than he was towards uh, the beginning. Mm. You knew Sigourney Weaver from the Alien movies, but this still wasn't like this still wasn't like like a, a like a selling you know script. You had no idea it was going to happen. Um, but the Stay Puff Marshmallow Man took this movie from like being very good to being like, oh wow, you guys like put some real money into the budget of this film. To make sure that he got that like one iconic like like come on like the Stay Puft Marshmallow the Ghostbusters video game that dropped like four years ago the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man is on the front cover of it he's almost just as iconic to to the Ghostbusters as the Ghostbusters are as, as the Ghostbusters and as the logo is like mm -hmm. the logo is super famous as well yeah. Um, so yeah it's gonna go to uh, the Stay Puft guy 
Uh, who's getting your That Guy Award? That Guy Award is going to – I'm going to give it to Louie. You gave it to Vinkman. I'm, I'm going to give it to Louie. Um, Louis Tully is just a joy to watch. I mean, a guy that if I was born around that time and he was my neighbor, like, listen, let, let me let go to a bar or something, bro. Let me show you how to, how to actually do this because he's a, he's a nerd. He's a geek. But he's confident. He, he's, it's a weird confidence here. Like, he knows Sigourney Weaver is way out of his league. But He's gonna go for it though. He he can hear her walking down the hallway while the music is blaring, you know. But I lo- also love the part that that at the same party, much he leaves his own house when the chick goes bad. But furthermore, he he got this, this one chick there. She goes, "I'm gonna leave." Well, maybe it means you dance together. We can have everybody else join in. She goes, "Okay." And he just does this weird shit that he does. It's Bro, it's the funniest, yet the whitest thing ever. But it's so fucking funny to me, though. But yeah, Lewis, man, Rick Moranis, all day. Uh, that's your award. Sigourney, yeah, it's hard not to give to Sigourney. Like, yeah, you know, really. Prior to this, all I knew her from was Aliens. To say the truth, and the fact that she, that that she, that she's approached this movie not so much in the the badass chick lane, but more so. You know, the sexy damsel in distress, even though she's not really so much a damsel in distress, she's just possessed. Yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, Sigourney, Sigourney was, was, uh, was something for sure. Um, her first, I think her first movie ever was uh, Annie Hall. Annie Hall. She had a small part in that. Um, that full award. Without doubt, Peck. Give me old ginger peck. Yeah. Peck was, oh my God, he's a Because it was like, in hindsight, it's like, I don't get why you even really need it. (laughs) Like, you need it for a a government official just to interfere. But when shit goes bad, like you were warned it was going to go bad, you were like the first one out the door. Yep. You know, and and hollering for an arrest and all that. I'm like, nah. Nah, you're 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 trash. Cut that out. Cut that out. The bruh, the 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 cheering, let them fall into an earthquake, an earthquake rumbled street, crawl out. Oh, it's all right, little scratches. Can't pick up the same let's go get the music. Like I don't get this particular part, but I haven't rhyme knew what he wanted. For some reason that stuck. Yeah. Uh, I, uh, uh, it doesn't hold up. <coughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I think this movie, uh, to know that it's approaching 40 is nuts. But um, also, this movie just genuinely gives you just genuine entertainment. It's such a such a good time. It's just such a good, good time. Like I would love to show this movie to my daughter and, you know, and if, if she would even sit down and watch it. But it's more like, you know, going back to what we said earlier, as lovers of cinema, this is the blueprint. One of the blueprints, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's just it's a simple story, executed very well. It shows the 80s, in particular, 1984, in the in in light to where this is what you do with a, with a small budget and watch it quadruple its value by simply by what you put into it. And they killed this shit, man. This movie is awesome. Yeah. Awesome movie. 
And finally, iconic scene. Iconic scene. Um, I was gonna give it to Louis running out of his own party, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do when they are about to confront Zol, and um, uh, this is out of the then die. This is after that, they come back like complete bosses, and in unison, grab their proton packs, load them up, aim. And began to shoot. They didn't hit anything, but I thought it was just the, the way that they were coordinated, all four of them, and it just looked like yo, they look like boss. I love that shit. It was just such, it was such a cool look, such a cool look. Anyway, let's get to our quick hits. We can wrap this puppy up. Quick hits. Uh, oh, okay. So when Lewis Tully mingles with his party guests, commenting on the price of the salmon and so on. The scene is one continuous shot and almost entirely improvised. The genius of Rick fucking Moranis, man. Um, most of this movie is actually ad-libbed. Like, there are some scripted lines you can hear, but almost all of Bill Murray's lines are ad-libbed. And you can really tell. Because you can definitely the tell. Is just, is just uh, amazing. But anyways, here's one. In the middle of the film's initial release, to keep interest going, Ivan Reitman... <clears throat> ran a trailer that was basically the commercial the Ghostbusters used in the movie, but the 555 number was replaced with the 1-800 number, allowing people to actually call in. Callers got a recorded message of Bill Murray and Dan Aykroyd saying something to the effect of, hi, we're out catching ghosts right now. They got over a thousand calls an hour, 24 hours a day for six weeks. Six weeks. You build that momentum. You have to. Yeah. You know? Uh, it's genius. The character of Winston was meant to have joined the team much earlier and would have been slimed at the hotel. But Eddie Murphy declined the role. The script was rewritten to have Winston appear about halfway through the film. Um, there is a, a little wink to John Belushi here as uh, on the set, Dan Aykroyd referred to Slimer the ghost, as the ghost of John Belushi. Slimer's gluttonous eating was based on uh, Belushi's cafeteria scene in 1978's Animal House. Uh, the terror dogs that come to life were actual statues designed on an uh, on an old church in Philadelphia. I'll remind me to visit that church every night. Um, the jail scene was filmed in a prison reported to be haunted, and the dailies had scratches all over the walls, uh, all over with no apparent physical uh, cause. Ivan Reitman was concerned about returning there. And the crew was very relieved to find enough footage to complete the scene without returning. <laughs> Listen, yo, we're out. <laughs> cool. cool. Yeah, this reminds me of like 95's Casper when like Dan Aykroyd comes running down the steps. He's yeah. all like, who are you going to call? Somebody else. Somebody. <laughs> takes off. Yo, I got to see some shit. <laughs> that opening scene of that movie, I know the movie probably doesn't hold up so well, but yo, that was like one of those kid movies that like it cracked me up with so many fucking cameos. Oh my god. Oh man. Well, ladies and gentlemen, that is Ghostbusters. Thank y'all for rocking with us. That's uh continuing on 80s in April. Uh, of course, we have uh, three more awesome 80s movies coming up for the rest of this month, and of course, some guests along the way. Danger Neff, where can they find you? Uh, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, David Danger Neff. Nicole's here at Back to the Classics. Uh, you can find me pretty much scattered all over our groups, uh, specifically the Facebook uh, Facebook group, uh, Back to the Classics, a, a movie talk group. 
um, make sure you reach out, talk to us and whatever. And we'll, we'll, you know, we, we pretty much covered just about everything. Um, I'm hoping to focus the group a little bit more over the course of this next month. So we'll, we'll see what that kind of looks like. Um, but yeah, uh, that's pretty much where you can find me. And, uh, thanks so much. Jay Lonzo, my friend, where can they find you? I am one on all the social medias uh, on Instagram at official J Alonzo on Facebook at J Alonzo on Snapchat at J dash Alonzo and on Twitter at I am J Alonzo. You talk to me and I'll talk back. Uh, like Dave said, the Bats of Class Mobile group is up and popping. Jump on in there and join the conversation. We'd love to have you. Um, we did have the, uh, the awesome Doc Ock on the show last week. Uh, for all the center folks out there that would like to be a part of what we call back to the classes, been be a cinephilic on the show. Uh, reach out to Dave. Dave will set it up. We'd love to have you on. We love having our folks on to just to talk what we love talking the most. Movies. Uh, and of course, um, that's about it, man. I think I have no other announcements coming. I think we're good. Yeah, I'm there with you. Uh, that being said, we'll see you good folks next week. Next week, I believe we have uh, a special guest on next week. Be my man, Anthony Hammer from the uh, Money Podcast. Look forward to having him on there. Shout out to the whole crew. Shout out to the single folks out there. I'm Jay Alonzo. With me, of course, is Adrian F. This is Back to Class. Good people. We'll see y'all next week. Peace out.